Welcome to the sermon podcast of Exodus Church, located in Belmont, North Carolina. For more information about our church and the many ways you can be involved, please go to our website at theexoduschurch.org or email us at info at theexoduschurch.org. Good morning. My name is Nathan Chapman, and I'm one of the pastors here at Exodus. If you're a guest with us today joining in, we'd love to know that you're here. You can do that by emailing the address that's below on the screen. Now, I want you to know that I miss every one of you so much. I hate being in this room alone, and uh, I cannot wait to see you guys. And I know some of you are feeling the same way. And ironically, today, the passage that we're going to look at is Jeremiah 29, and it's going to deal with the idea of how do we wait? How do we do it with joy and hope and great patience? How do we endure whatever God's called us to endure while trusting in Him? Now, uh, some of you have been tuning in over the last several weeks, and we've been working our way through a book called Habakkuk and considering what it looks like to trust God in suffering. And today we're going to continue with that theme. Um, if Habakkuk was about anticipating the suffering of God's people and, and mourning that, the Babylonian captivity that was coming for them, Jeremiah, the prophet that we're going to look at today, is much about how we should be thinking while we wait on God's deliverance. This passage came during that Babylonian captivity that Habakkuk was anticipating. And it was a time of suffering where certain people were growing impatient. In fact, there were some false prophets that had risen up and they were telling God's people that the suffering was about to be over. Just a couple years, just two more years and you're going to be back to normal and you're going to have your fortunes restored. But unfortunately, it wasn't true, even though God's people wanted so bad for it to be true. And Jeremiah is writing this particular passage in Jeremiah 29 today to let God's people know that not only would their suffering be longer, but he's instructing them how they should behave and how they should hope in our Father while they wait. So today we're going to consider what it looks like to faithfully wait on the Lord and endure in the midst of great suffering. And as we consider what patience looks like, we're going to see three things, at least I hope we see three things in this passage. Um, first, calling us to be present in this moment and, and being comforted by uh, the promise that God has given us. And then lastly, how we might pursue the Lord. And so as we read God's word together, I'm praying that we'll see those things. And I would ask you to pray as we read through it, that God would awaken in us his power while we wait on him. Let's start in verse four of chapter 29. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I've sent into Israel, into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and live in them. Plant gardens and eat their produce. Take wives and have sons and daughters. Take wives for your own sons and give your daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there and do not decrease. But seek the welfare of the city where I've sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf. For in its welfare, you will find your welfare. For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, do not let your prophets and your diviners who are among you deceive you and do not listen to the dreams that they dream. For it is a lie that they are prophesying to you in my name. I did not send them, declares the Lord. For thus says the Lord, when 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will visit you and I will fulfill to you my promise and bring you back to this place. 
For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me and I will hear you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and I will restore your fortunes and gather you from all the nations and all the places where I've driven you, declares the Lord, and I will bring you back to the place from which I sent you into exile. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray together. Father, we come before you today asking for your blessing, that you would speak to us through your word. We believe that your word has power and that when we bring ourselves in submission to it, that you transform us by your Holy Spirit. I pray that that would be true today as we bring ourselves to your word. I pray that it would encourage us, that we would feast on these truths and that they would call us to faith and repentance in the moments of our days, in our homes, in our families, in our vocation, wherever we live, in all those spaces, I pray that you'd show us what it looks like to faithfully wait on you and to trust in you in the meantime. And I pray this um, for your namesake, Jesus. Amen. Now, as we begin, I want to ask you one question to consider and to ask yourself for a moment before we look at what this passage is going to say. And it's this, what are you waiting on? Now, I don't mean what are you waiting to go do. I'm saying what I'm asking, what is it that's requiring patience from you right now? What have you been praying for for a very long time that you believe will happen, but it seems like you just continue to wait, that it's just beyond the horizon? What are you waiting on? And maybe right now you've been furloughed from your job and you're waiting for things to open back up or you're waiting for God to save your kids or waiting for some difficult conflict to be over, waiting on God's provision, whatever it is. I know that some of you are walking through seasons right now in your life where you're wondering what the future is going to hold and how long it will take to get there. And now I have no idea how long uh, you're going to have to wait. But I know this, that for those of you who are crying out to the Lord, how long, oh Lord, and you're wondering, when will we arrive at that destination? Um, my hope for you is this, and I have, I've prayed these things for us today, that while we wait, that we would become a people who endure with both hope and joy, and that part of coming to his word today, as we hear what the prophet Jeremiah said to God's people while they were waiting, that we would receive them now, whatever it is that we're waiting on, that God would apply these principles to the moments that we're waiting for in, in our future. And with that prayer, I want you to imagine how God's people are being addressed in this passage and what their experience might have been. Now, they're experiencing the consequences of their sin, the discipline of God on his people because they had broken covenant with him. And Jeremiah had witnessed these things. He had witnessed the fall of Jerusalem and the fall of the temple being overtaken and God's people being deported from their homes into Babylonian captivity. So just imagine for, the, for a moment the trail of tears that would have resulted from this. God's people are experiencing God's justice and discipline, and it's hard. And as you can imagine, they're hoping that the discipline will be as short as possible. And then in chapter 28, which I've already mentioned, this guy named Hananiah rises up and he tells them, hey, listen, it's going to be about two years, and then you're going to get back to normal. And just a, a simple observation, when we're uncomfortable it is very easy to find someone who will tell us what we want to hear. Um, but that's not God's way. 
And in this, uh, he raises up this prophet, Jeremiah, to tell them, listen, you need to know that it's going to be longer than you, you want it to be. You need to buckle down and settle in, and this is going to be a longer stay than what you'd like. And so I want to start with looking at verse 8 together, and this is going to give us a little more context for the letter that's being written. For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, do not let your prophets and your diviners who are among you deceive you and do not listen to the dreams that they dream for it is a lie that they are prophesying to you in my name. I did not send them, declares the Lord. For thus says the Lord, when the 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will visit you and I will fulfill to you my promise and bring you back to this place. Now, for anyone who's getting ready for things to open up and go on a road trip, you know what it's like to be traveling with your kids and over and over and over they're asking the question, how much further? When can we stop? I need a bathroom break. And, and for those of you who are like me, you're always underestimating the length of time. It all depends on traffic, right? 30 minutes can become 20 minutes and it can feel like 60 minutes. But just a free observation, like I said, when you want relief, it's really easy to find the truth that you want to hear. And that doesn't mean it's true. So in these days, these particular days, when we're walking through a really difficult season, we must be prayerful and watchful and discerning about what's going on around us and listening. What is God saying and how is he speaking to us as his people on how we might endure however long this takes? And so the first instruction for God's people is for them to be present. This is the first observation. God calls his people to be present. And before I get into the ways that God instructs his people to be present, it's just a reminder that the most difficult thing when we're walking through something hard for us is, is to be present in the moment. We can go get so fixed on our deliverance that we miss what's right in front of us and the things that God is calling us to right here and now. And so as we look at verses five through seven, there's four areas that God calls his people to be present to. And so let's read in verse five. He says this, build houses and live in them, plant gardens and eat their produce, take wives and sons and daughters, take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters, multiply there and do not decrease, but seek the welfare of the city where I've sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf for in its welfare, you will find your welfare. So there's four areas that he pushes his people to attend to. First, their home, build houses and dwell in them. Then their vocation. He says, I want you to, to plant gardens, take their produce, make provision for you and your family. So consider your home, your vocation. And then next he says, look at your family, take wives, get wives for your sons, have your daughters, take husbands. Uh, go ahead and increase generationally where you're at. So consider your home, your vocation, your family, and then lastly, your city. Seek the welfare of the city where I've sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf. For in its welfare, you will find your welfare. And in all of these things, he's telling them to pay attention. Don't neglect these things that are right in front of them that are necessary. Even if the necessary things are hard, you don't neglect them. So I want you to imagine each of these four spheres of life and compare the difference of thinking about them with two years in mind versus 70 years of timeline, which is about the span of our lives. So you need to think about how these things and how we would be present to these things with a sense of longevity. 
First in the home, think about how you would build and maintain and live in your home if you only thought it was going to be a two-year thing versus a 70-year forever home in some people's cases. Or my entire life, it's going to possibly be in this place. And then the vocation. Think about your work right now. Whatever God's called you to, that's given to you to provide for you and your family, whatever it is, uh, there's a way to enter in where you're always looking at the horizon. What's next? How do I get out of this? How do I do the least amount possible? And then there's a way to look at it and say, hey, how do I reap the greatest harvest in the next season? looking at vocation with a great sense of presence. And then next, he looks at their relationships, primarily within their family, within the family and beyond. Think about those relationships and the difference in treating people like you're only going to know them for two years versus 70 years. You're only going to be neighbors for two years versus the rest of your time there. You're looking at your friends a little different, right? Maybe our kids will get married. It changes the way that you forgive and reconcile and love one another. And then he moves forward to the city. And I think this could be one of the most difficult ones to live present, in the present. Wherever you live, there's this reality that God has set up your boundaries. He's determined who your neighbors would be. And he's inviting us, just like he was inviting them, to seek the welfare of that place and the people there, even if you don't see them as family. So the people of God are living amongst the Babylonians. And they're, when they're hearing this, they would have been looking around them and saying, hey, these people defeated us. They took us as slaves. And God is telling us to seek their welfare, seek to be a blessing where God's placed us, to pray for this city and to pray for the Lord, to the Lord on its behalf. And there's this promise in this last sphere of presence that if you seek the welfare of others, that in that you're going to find your own welfare. That word welfare, it's a Hebrew word that maybe you've heard before called shalom, and it means all aspects of peace and plenty, of peace and abundance. Now, God has always been about using his people as a conduit for blessing in the world. So even in their discipline, he's calling them to be present to the city around them, to pray to the Lord on its behalf and seek its welfare, its peace and plenty. And then through that, that they would both reap the benefit of it and seek it themselves. And so wherever you are, I want to remind you of this, that God has placed you where you are right now. That's the way he works. And he wants you as his agents of peace and plenty in the world, as as his agents of his gospel of peace, even in difficulty, to be present. Present in your home, in your family, in your vocation, and in the city that you live. So if you're checked out, if you're tuned in more to your phone than the home and the people around you, I want you to look up and look around you. Uh, And maybe this is felt in this season, like this home that you live in and the people that you're there with right now watching this video, that it might feel a little bit more like captivity than a place of refuge. Wherever you're at right now, I want you to know that God's placed you there to be an agent for his peace, for his welfare to be made. If you belong to him, he's reconciling you to that purpose in the world. And so if you're checked out, At home, he's calling you to be present. If you're checked out with your family, he's calling you to be present and to to take these moments and sow into them what you'd like to reap 
in the long haul. If you're checked out at work, I want you to consider your vocation as the place where God's given you to make provision for you and your family, a place where he's given you an opportunity to bless those around you. If you're checked out in your city to the things going around you, look around and open your eyes to the needs and the ways that you can bring yourself to the people and therefore bring the message of the gospel to those around you and bring his blessing and his welfare. And then in that giving of blessing, you receive it. That's how it works. God always uses his people to bring about his blessing. And that blessing ends up being their own. And the only way to be present in the moments, especially when it's hard, is to be comforted by the promise of God, which leads into the next thing that we're going to see in this passage in verses 10 through 11, that God comforts his people with his promise. Let's look at these verses together in verse 10. When the 70 years are completed, I will visit you. I will fulfill my promise. Verse 11, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare. There's that word again, shalom, and not for evil to give you a hope, a future and a hope. And he's saying that the only way that you're going to be present in the midst of suffering, especially, is to be comforted by the promise of God to hold on to this hope and future that he's given us. Hope is this Christian virtue that enables us to be present in the right, right now, in this moment, but the right now is defined by our future. And sometimes we think about hope as just imagining the future, and that's partly true, but it's not just a longing for some future experience. It's the present experience that's defined by our confidence in the future. In verse 11, when it says, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil to give you a future and a hope. That means that God has plans for us. Our future destination, our future reality, it defines how we live in this moment. There's a, there's a guy named uh, Viktor Frankl who was a survivor of the Holocaust. He's a psychologist who made all these observations about the people who survived Auschwitz. And the ones who endured that experience, uh, they endured through his observations because they had a purpose beyond the season that they were in. Those were the ones that made it. And the only way that we as Christians make it through the difficulties that we will face is to get a vision of the future that's so clear that we're pulled into it, but it doesn't pull us out of this moment. It actually gives us the hope that we need to be present in this moment, in our home, in our family, in our vocation, in the city that we live, in the time, in the place that we live. And I want to invite you right now just to get a clear vision of that future, the joy of it, and then bring it into the present, the clear sense of vision of that future. And there's things right now that can cloud our vision of the future, There's things that could distract us from the difficulty. So there's so many ways that we can kind of numb ourselves to what's going on around us, the difficulty of family, of work, of life, the pain and and injustice of what's happening around us. But God's inviting us to fix our hope and our vision on him. There's this law of the harvest that you will reap whatever you've sown in previous seasons. So right now, You could be reaping a harvest of things you've invested into your mind so that right now you have a clear vision of the future. Or you could be be sowing a harvest right now for some future place 
where you're investing God's word and through prayer, fixing your attention and your hope on him. And now if you want to be a person of spiritual depth, you have to sow those things now. If you want to have a deep spiritual life, you have to sow those things now. God wants our hopes to be fixed on him. And the only way our vision will be clear and be brought into the here and now is if we're sowing into knowing him and loving him. And then he describes the hope in verse 12 that it doesn't start with the return to their homeland and the restoration of their fortunes. It doesn't start with that. What does the shalom look like? It looks like God giving him self to us. In verse 12, then you will seek me and you will find me when you seek me with all of your heart. And this is the final observation in this text, that God not only calls us to be to the, in the waiting to be present, to trust his promise, but he invites us to pursue him. He's the prize, the object of our hope, the vision that we fill our minds with is that we will seek the Lord and the ultimate promise is that through Jesus, he will be found by us. God calls his people to pursue him. Look at verse 12 again. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me and I will hear you and you will seek me and find me. And when you seek me with all your heart, I will be found by you, declares the Lord. Hear the hope of that promise that if you pursue him with your whole heart, if you make it your life's ambition to seek after him and to know him, to seek God and his kingdom, he will be found by you. Seek and you'll find him through the disciplines of prayer and scripture, meditating on God's word. And then there's this promise that God will be found. And so today, the best part of our certain future, today as we wait, the best part is that God's promised us to give us himself. So God's word to his people through Jeremiah was to be present where you are, to be comforted by the promise of God and, I, and to be passionate about this pursuit of God where you're at right now. And I believe that God wants where, whatever you're enduring to be a place where you experience his power and presence in your home, in your vocation, in your family, in your city, that you would not only seek God's wisdom, but you would experience his peace and abundance by seeking him with your whole heart and him being found by you. And so today, how do we apply this? I think that today God is inviting us to be a people who are defined by hope, who are defined by the joy that we have in knowing and experiencing him by being in this right here moment and transcending to eternity by knowing God in this moment. I've been reading uh, the biography of Dietrich Bonhoeffer and I've, I love it so much. I've been moved by the way that he talked about the present. Here's a quote that I wanted to share with you from one of his early sermons. It said this, in the, whole world, in the whole of world history, there's always only one really significant hour, the present. If you want to find eternity, you must serve the times. So today, this is the significant hour, this moment in our history. And how are you stepping into it? Are you experiencing this moment with the hope that, that would define us and invite us to rejoice? Where's your hope right now? How is that filling and defining the moments of your day in your home, vocation, family, and the city that you live? 
because I believe God wants to use us to be a blessing to all those around us. And I want to leave you with this passage from Romans chapter 5, verses 2 through 5. It says this, Through him, that's Christ, we've also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who's been given to us. This is the word of the Lord, and my prayer for you today is that you would endure with hope and even with joy in this season and whatever seasons lie ahead of you, that you would be marked as a person of great hope no matter how long the endurance lies ahead of you, that you would be present to this moment filled with hope and joy and that it would define your home and your vocation, your family and your city, and you'd endure whatever might come trusting in God. Let's pray to that end. Father, thank you so much for these words today. I receive them. I receive them as from you. I know all the ways that my flesh is so impatient in my home, in vocation, in my family, in my city. In all of these ways, you've invited me to put my trust in you. And I pray that you'd make us a people who endure with both hope and joy that we'd be defined by knowing and seeking and pursuing you, defined by the promise that you've, you've given us, and we would respond with yes to this present moment, that we would not try to escape it. Help us to do that. And I pray all these things for your glory, Jesus. Amen.